In April 2020, just as the global pandemic was kicking off, Lawrence and I started recording our weekly Friday Firesides. These are conversations broadcast live over the Crowdcast platform and joined by people all over the world who listen in and share their thoughts with us via the chat. We started these live recordings as an opportunity to keep in touch with our members, as well as process what it meant to run a business during a pandemic. Since then, we've broadcast nearly every single Friday and built up a library of over 100 episodes. We cover a range of different topics from money to meaning, pricing to purpose, vision to vulnerability, entrepreneurship to empathy, and product design to life design. This is our perspective of what it means to do business from the inside out, as well as the outside in. If you're a business hippie just like us, then you'll definitely find something of value here. We hope that these conversations inspire and motivate you to do work and build businesses that create meaningful change without burning out. Because like us, you're just wanting to make money, do good, and be happy. The title of today's, or the topic, the title of today's Friday Fireside is Feel the Fear But Don't Believe It. And we're going to dive into that a bit more. Um, And it's on the back of a summer camp talk by David about how to be scared. And he, he... gave us a lovely, vulnerable, enlightening and entertaining talk about his own experiences with fear and and hoping that those experiences would help others listening, and I, I believe they did. And so we wanted to expand on that, give more opportunity to talk about uh, his relationship and ideas and thoughts around fear, um, hopefully for those of you who might be blocked from making a change in your life, doing something different, maybe these ideas will help you unblock and find a way forward um, or at least understand why you're not moving in the direction you want to move. So that's kind of setting up the scene a little bit. But as with all of these Friday Firesides, they're emerging conversations. They could go anywhere. And particularly when you have someone like David Papa who loves improv, they will probably go anywhere. So just hold on tight. Enjoy the ride. Before we kick off, uh, for those listening now who have a new to you, uh, maybe I've not met you before, uh, maybe just share a little bit about yourself, the work you do, and any relevant bits of the story that you've uh, created over the past however many years that might be relevant. Ah, uh, thank you. I'm finally uh, happy to introduce myself with a title that I like, which is the founder of Unconditional Coaching, which is what I now call my work, mm-hmm. because our essential state is uh, unconditional and virtually all our problems are created by the conditions that we have in our mind that we that we accept and adhere to and start to live by these are judgments expectations these criticisms we have of ourselves, of others of life it's our resistance to ourselves and when we lose those conditions and we become unconditional, that's when really magic starts to happen. That's what I've experienced. That's what I love to help people with. So yeah, my, my path here is it's a result of just all the things that have worked for me to shift and transform my life the most. I mean, some, some interesting things have happened to me, especially in the last few years, you know, I ended up going from someone who 
you know, never thought they wanted kids to being unbelievably excited about being a father. I went from someone who started out working for themselves, was making, uh, you know, around 50,000 a year. And then uh, I managed uh, over time to hit six figures. You know, I went from someone who um, never let themselves f fully express who they, who they really are in terms of their performance to performing improv on stage you know, uh, twice a month for five years, then get doing stand up, and then getting my first acting role, professional acting role. I'm someone who used to have gigantic fear about so many things. I had huge difficulties in intimacy, in intimate relationships. And that was that's kind of like a symbol, a symbol of the fear that I was carrying. And I learned how to work through that. That really sent me on a journey of trying to understand emotional healing, spirituality, what it is, what it means, how it helps us, who we really are. And and that uh that path is what lended ended up here and ended up having these other effects on my life. So so yeah, it was a it was a wildabout way. I mean, you know, when I in college, I, I studied creative writing. And then I went after that, I went into advertising. Then I went to business school to study leadership and social enterprise. Then I, then I worked in social enterprise. Then I left it because I, I saw all the, I saw that purpose wasn't the answer to business's problems, you know? And then I, um, I realized in that, in that moment, I guess maybe the, the pivotal thing is, is after all that, I mean, I was like in my, I was in my thirties. Maybe I, and I decided to quit everything and give myself minimum of three months to to not make another decision until I really figured out who I was. And, and that's really when I saw why I wasn't happy, even with these successes that I had, why I wasn't happy is because the, they were driven by fear. They were still fear-based decisions. And uh, through fear-based decisions, you can accomplish a lot, but you're never going to be happy doing it. So I decided I'm not going to make another decision based on fear. I want my life to be run by love and joy. And that's when I started consulting and I started working with organizations on bringing more love into their leadership and their business. And that led to working with people that led to the emotional healing journey that led to everywhere we are now and those other results I mentioned in my life. So maybe that is answers your question. Thank you. No, I, I think it illustrates very much the kind of a serendipitous path. There's something here around storytelling or writing or being express, being able to express yourself, I think, feels like a thread in in what you were talking, but still the the strategies around the work and what you did seems to be quite an emergent journey. And, and on that, I was thinking this idea of connecting this willingness to go on an emergent path versus this idea of fear and how that what play how that plays a part in thinking linearly and thinking about all right going in one direction and certainty and and then something that's less lesser and more emergent maybe more joyful but connected to this idea of fear i don't know just to yeah well what you're making there. me think about is the you know how fear convinces us that it's the rational logical choice and so we make usually the safe moves you know, these moves that we're supposed to make that seem like good, practical, logical decisions that we can make all kinds of arguments why it's the right decision to make. And actually, if you're doing that a lot, that's usually actually fear behind those decisions. So that's one thing you're making me think of when you say, you know, kind of the linear path versus an emergent path. Because when you follow your excitement, you follow your joy, you literally have no idea where it's going to go. When I started doing improv, it was just an exercise in joy. And it still is. I never expected it to lead to a, a, a dream of mine, which is to get an acting role, you know? So then it did. 
So this is the kind of this when you allow for the emergence and you allow yourself to be guided by something else than your fear, all kinds of really weird, interesting things happen to you that turn out maybe it's what you wanted originally to begin with. But your mind's not going to let you see that if you just do the rational thing, because the rational thing is never the most exciting thing, hardly ever. We had this this morning, it came up quite a bit in this, we had the, the theme of the event this morning is a midlife pivot. And in some ways trying to reframe the idea of a midlife crisis because i think anyone who gets to a certain age thinks that if i change direction now it's going to be labeled as a crisis and therefore it's just a stereotype of what happens when you get to your 40s and fear came up a lot because i think this fear of what other people think and i think that's a big reason why people feel scared but i also think there's an element of which a couple of people mentioned fear of just opening yourself up to more from life fear of opening yourself up to good and bad emotions uh fear of being vulnerable fear of being judged because you're being vulnerable and also fear of identity and that shifting and us evolving our relationship to ourselves through life and so on the surface i think fear for a lot of people is oh i'm scared because there won't be any money i'm scared because other people might judge me i'm scared because my parents think i'm reckless but i think more and more i'm discovering that fear is actually about our relationship to ourselves and our identity and actually just being vulnerable and how scary that can be and david opening up on the call today for some people would be fear itself admitting that i'm scared is is a huge thing yeah, yeah many people they just they just think to themselves you know i'm procrastinating i'm somehow self-sabotaging i'm just not letting myself pursue my dream or they have this they have do you remember the movie flash dance from like 1983 how many how many people <laughs> i don't know if that's if i'm dating you know but I recently, I was too young to watch it when it came out, but I recently rewatched it. And there's this, you know, the main song from Flashdance. There's this amazing lyric in that song where it's like, the fear hides your dream in the back of your mind. You know, so some, some people just, they have this nagging sense that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not purpose. They're procrastinating on it. Maybe there's this dream that they can consciously articulate, or maybe they can't. And it's in the back of their mind and the, and the fear is kind of hiding it. And so some people might not even realize I'm scared. They're just like, why don't my decisions feel good? Like what, like what's happening to me? Like why, why, what is my, my dream? Like, isn't, where is my dream? Why isn't it happening? And I've, I've had these successes. I don't feel fulfilled. Like, of course, of course not because they've been rational successes. And so actually what's going on is you're scared underneath. There's just fear, just anxiety. You're not letting yourself really go for the unreasonable thing that you know is in your heart. And everybody that has actually gone for that unreasonable thing, you see them everywhere, that has gone for that unreasonable thing that's in their heart. It's, you know, no matter how it turns out, it's always better than the rational choice. They never turn it around and say, I regret that I did that. But if you want to get to that place where you take action on it, yeah, you need to do fear work. You got to work with the shadow that is your fear. That's the most direct way to to resolve it. It's not about like getting another better business plan or, you know, those things can sometimes help, you know, about getting better marketing strategy or something that maybe you feel more comfortable with or, or getting your first transaction you know, in, a, in a new business that can help you feel more comfortable for sure. But the most direct way and not having the shadow of fear kind of hiding your own dreams from yourself and stopping you from taking it is to go directly and work with the fear itself. So we just had a question from, from Leanne saying, what makes the fear so strong? Oh, 
Yeah, great question. It's because your entire system is trying to survive. Fear is the is actually a very, in many situations, a very helpful mechanism to get you to survive. The only, the reason you have fear as a as a biological organism is because the or, the biological part of you feels like you are a separate individual, alone in a dangerous world that is that absolutely relies on the people around you to help you and support you and keep you safe. And if you do anything to jeopardize any of that, you're in danger. You might die. And so your fear is literally thinks you will die if you do things like put a video online about your dream. You're, you're, you're the, 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 the chain of the chain of causal, like causality in the mind is like, I can't do that. People will reject me. If they reject me, I'll be you know, cast away. If, if I'm cast away, I'll be alone and I'll, then I'll be poor and I'll, I'll die alone in the gutter. And, you know, one of, and that's literally the chain in your mind. It thinks it's your survival's at stake. Uh, that's that's kind of why uh, Carlos was saying that maybe there's this idea that I talked about in the talk, like maybe you can feel your fear, but not believe, not believe that vision that the fear is holding in your head. But but the fear is very real and very visceral and very strong because it literally thinks your life is at stake. I wanted to add on to that. And it, it means I can also kind of like talk about my physics days, which always makes me fear <laughs> less that I wasted all of that time in a lab. But one of the um, one of the things that I was taught when working with lots of numbers is because of the way our brains work, we spot visual contrast a lot easier than patterns in like letters or words. Well, we, we pattern recognition machines essentially. And so, if you plot something out visually, you will see contrast or difference a lot easier, a lot more quickly. In the same way that if you have a white, plain white sheet one little dot will stand out so much more than the kind of the plain whiteness of it. And that for me, there's some kind of neurological aspect of it is like, we will spot things that are just very different, very stark. And there's that, there's immediate reaction. So connecting to this idea of like spotting danger is like spotting difference, spotting something that's not the same as normal is just a inbuilt thing. And so on one hand, it's an amazing tool I remember when I was trying to do my work, just being able to say, ah, oh, I can see a pattern now because I can spot the differences, I can spot the changes, which was great. And at the same time, it made me maybe very sensitive to change, which then had an emotional impact. And that's what I'm connecting now in my brain of like being someone who's rationally driven, using that ability to spot change as a tool and also how that ingrained my sensitivity to change around it's like our brain has this mechanism that's like, I'm surviving right now, so any change might be bad. It's like, why, why do people, why would someone stay in an abusive relationship? Why would their, their system be so like emotionally, why, why, would that, why would there be enough energy for them to, that actually keeps them in an abusive relationship? I mean, I'm not going to go into some deep therapeutical discussion right now, but one factor is that the relationship is, they're, they're, they're surviving, despite how horrible it might be their system knows that well they're alive and actually breaking out of that is an unknown and the unknown means could be death so th so your system is, is like on a certain level not willing to take that risk and so on that if we so there's believing the fear and believing what the fear might bring which is potentially death what's in your from your perspective has helped you with that scenario embracing the fear actually fully, totally learning how to totally accept and welcome the fear into me and into my body. Instead of having it be this shadow force hiding in the background, constantly trying to rationalize my decisions, 
constantly trying to get me to do stuff. I look directly at it and I welcome it. I hug it like an old friend and I bring it into me and into my heart. And it, sometimes it makes me cry. Sometimes it makes me shake. Sometimes it makes creates gigantic knots in my stomach. But my fear is just my system trying to having some story of how I might not survive and what's dangerous. And when I bring that closer to me, bring, come closer to me, come close to me, let me feel you completely. What is, what are you, what is the real thought here? What is the real thing being imagined here? What am I really afraid will happen? I get that closer and closer and I feel it all the way with my body, all the way in. And what you find when you do practices like this is that it starts to dissolve. It starts to get lighter. It's when, it, when you start to pay attention to it and welcome it, it starts to drop its urgency. Its message starts to get looser. You start to have some space around it. You, there's some other energy comes in, like some excitement or some joy can come in, or all of a sudden you see a situation differently. I mean, it's, it's quite incredible when you do this type of practice, the, these like embodied emotional embracing and acceptance practices. It's quite shocking when you first start about how all of a sudden your thoughts change by themselves. You haven't done any work on your thoughts, but you just do the work with the emotion and all of a sudden you have different thoughts about a scenario, about what you're capable of, about who you are, about actions you have, solutions you're coming up with. Just new things appear, like a new perspective is all of a sudden available. And you realize how many of your thoughts are actually kind of controlled or the reflection of with the emotions that are going on underneath. So when you when you work with those emotions directly, you can create huge shifts in your 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 being state, which changes what you see, which changes how you decide, which changes how you express yourself, which changes how you act, which completely changes the results around you. So, that's so what I'm connecting to was some of the stuff that we would talk about uh, early days within the Happy Startup School community, working with people starting new things and and getting creative. This phrase of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable which i fucking hated because it's just like what's the most oxymoronic sentence in the world it just didn't make sense i i get what the sentiment is but the thing is it, there was the, what someone wasn't explaining to me was like discomfort is not bad yes and that's the thing that wasn't explained to me is like discomfort isn't something i need to judge as something i need to push away or not go near uh, it is a an experience, but it isn't something that I've done wrong. And and your discomfort, just like fear, it's a motivational mechanism by your system to try to get you to do something, to fix the situation, to get out of it, to to survive. You know, so discomfort is your your brain's automatic reaction to discomfort is oh, there's a problem. So w exactly what you just said is one of the biggest first spaces of freedom we can create in ourselves is when we realize discomfort's not a problem. Discomfort doesn't mean there's a problem. Discomfort just means there's a process happening. And that is uh, that that can create huge space. Because if you can if you can welcome your discomfort, you can do all kinds of things. The only reason you're not already acting and speaking and expressing and doing the things you know in your heart you could be doing and creating what you know you could be creating. The only reason is because on some level there's this, there is this discomfort, this emotional discomfort in the form of usually fear. And there are three kind of, I think, three areas where those fears are the strongest. It's literally, it's just your nervous system trying to motivate you to, to fix, fix something. And the discomfort is one way of doing that. You know, It makes you hungry, so it gets you to eat. You know, being hungry is like uncomfortable. 
you know, it makes you thirsty to get you to get you to drink. It's the same at, at some level with emotions. It's making you scared to get you to do something. I seem to remember that line, being comfortable, being comfortable is like a roller coaster was the metaphor. Some people love roller coasters was the theory and some people hate them. It's the same experience. It's how you interpret that uh, experience affects your experience of it. It's a bit like embrace failure, embrace uncertainty, learn to love it. I think that that's part of the metaphor, isn't it? It's part of the zeitgeist, particularly in the startup world is, you know, fail fast. It's a badge of honor. It's a good thing. Go, go, go do it. Go seek failure. I don't know if anyone ever loves failure, even people who fail a lot. I think it, it's, that needs a rebrand in some ways, but it is that thing of trying not to judge and trying not to, in some ways, owning it, not living that. So if something doesn't work, it's not you. It's the thing, trying to detach your identity and your self-worth from something you've tried. And I think that's what a lot of people make the mistake of is they tie everything and it's so binary that this discomfort is because I try it and it either works 100% or it fails 100% and therefore I'm a failure if it fails. But how do you learn to love that? Because what you just described, failure, failure is just a feeling, right? Like how can you, are you objectively, how can you, you can't even make an objective definition of failure because like let's say someone, let's say someone fails at their job, right? Quote unquote fails at their job and gets fired. And then it turns out that was the best thing that ever happened to them because then they started like working on what they really loved. Or let's say someone takes a big experiment with their entrepreneurial journey and then it fails, but then they learn something that completely changes their life or whatever. Like we can't even, we don't even know what failure is on from an mm. external objective perspective. But what we do know it is, is how it feels and we hate to feel it. So actually the, the way to love failing is to learn how to love your feelings. That's the how for me. Yeah. Oh, there's some good quotes in here. Like, uh, you must get addicted to uncomfortable action to succeed. Yeah. That's an interesting, yeah, interesting idea. Yeah. Like if you could be, if you could like love the discomfort of taking a new action, you would create so much so fast. Mm. What else? The, when the fear of leaving is better, is bigger than the fear of staying. Beth is saying, yeah, it can get like, or actually that, that can happen. It kind of, I think of it as a reverse as well, where where like the need to do something, the excitement and impulse to do something just just ends up becoming greater than the fear stopping you from doing it. That happened to yeah. me with stand-up. That happened to me with stand-up. And I got there specifically with emotional work. I found incredible amounts of shame in my body that was preventing me from uh, getting on stage and doing stand-up. And I did straight up deep down emotional work with that shame. I was crying. I was shaking. I was like, uh, I had this super intense session. And then uh, like something I'd been wanting to do for years after that session. I mean, there was other, there was other work building up to it, but I'd been wanting to do stand up for years. And then after that session, uh, three days later, I booked myself on an open mic for the first time ever. That, this whole word, well, this whole idea and relationship to failure. And I think we're connecting it to fear. The thing that's bringing up for me is like, when I think of the word fail, the first thing I think about is failing an exam, failing a test, failing uh, to achieve a benchmark that has been set. So this idea, like, if you don't hit this uh, level, however that's defined numerically or or in someone's someone else's definition or even your own definition of, of uh, hitting a, a target, then you failed. And so then because of that, you're not good enough. And then this sense of, like, if I'm not good enough, I'm not worth it, I'm not valuable. So this whole kind of trickle-down idea around it and i was trying to also look up what's the where's the origin of the word failure where does it come from and one of it one of the origins is from the word latin which means to fall so if you fall 
and you get yourself up again. That makes sense. It doesn't mean you're not going to reach the thing. It's just you just fell along the way. You tripped. Something just like got in your way. But and, and all of us, when we fall, it hurts. It's painful, but it doesn't mean we don't get up again. But somehow when we fail, we don't want to get up again because it means if we fail again, what does that mean? And it, I, feel I think that's pretty yeah. rare, though, right? That's pretty rare that someone actually fails and doesn't get up again. Like most people, when they fail, they they have new energy. If they fail at something they, they cared about, they have new energy to try again. And that usually that story of failure and what they learn propels them right into the next journey. It's only our brain that thinks the failure is going to be some, some type of end. You know, <laughs> you know it's, only, it's only our mind that thinks it's going to be some type of end. I, no, I agree. But I, I would also say there are many people and friends and relatives who are scared of failing and they failed once and they won't try again. Oh, yes. Yeah, they, they failed at, I don't know, opening a beer bottle. <laughs> I'll try again at that. Yeah. But maybe they failed at um, starting their own little shop. Oh, I'm never going to yeah. go back there because, you know, that was yeah. so embarrassing and it was so painful. And I'm not good enough for doing that stuff. So I'm never going to do yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Or like in relationships, you know, you have a relationship, you get super burned, and then you feel like you can't trust anybody. You know, you won't want to try one of those relationships again. Yeah. I mean, um, okay. Again, for me, the way through that is at the emotional level, because the reason you're not doing it is because how uncomfortable it feels for you. Mm. You feel like you're not good enough. You feel like really wronged, or you feel like it's not possible for me. I can't ever get this. You know, I can't ever make this happen. Those are all internal being states. Those are all emotions at their root. So for me, again, the way through that to actually find the place where I'm comfortable trying again is to first process all the emotions I have about that first, that first time. If someone fails on something they care about and they never try again, to me, that, that means in this scenarios we're talking about, it means they have unprocessed emotions. They've never been able to integrate those emotions so they can't move forward yet. So again, for me, it's the emotional work. And there are a couple of interesting questions here. I don't know if we want to get to I was this. curious about Francis's one, actually, about how do you personally make decisions? I try to make decisions exclusively on my love and joy. So it's a feeling inside. It's a feeling of expansion. It's a feeling of freedom. It's a feeling of excitement. It's a feeling of like chains coming off. It's a feeling of uh, lifting. It's a feeling of widening. It's a feeling of... Uh, uh, yeah, of passion. All, it's, it's that I'm looking for one of those things versus a feeling of constraint, a feeling of constriction, a feeling of heaviness, a feeling of um, I should do something or a feeling of I have to, or what is my fear trying to get me to do? And looking directly at what am I afraid of? You know, so I'm trying to, I try to parse what's going on in my system first by looking at it directly and clearly. And then I'm trying to find that sense of expansion some might call it your highest excitement. You might call it your love. You might call it your joy, what your heart wants. You might call it your mm -hmm. intuition. You might call it, like I often do, guidance from your higher self. Because I don't believe your joy and what you love is a coincidence. I believe those, those gigantic, like bursting, expansive feelings in your heart about what your heart you know, yearns for in a, in a positive way. I, I think those are coming mm -hmm. from the deepest level of you that we don't even understand how to talk about yet we don't know what even fully is yet and that is uh, so that's a message so that's how i try to make decisions and um i have you know various techniques i use to make it more clear for myself if i'm having trouble getting a handle on those feelings i'm just curious is there a danger with that where you can trick yourself into thinking that this is from a place of love or joy or you've 
had that in the past where there's a rational move, but you've gone, no, actually, this is this is an expansive move and actually look back and regretted it. Or I think like Chris mentioned earlier, this idea that if we make decisions out of fear, will it always end up in a, a bad ending? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so because you can, you can use any, everything for your growth. You can use everything to turn into a positive outcome for yourself. And that doesn't mean like look at rose tinted glasses with everything. It means like, let's say, you know, you have a, let's say you have some terrible loss in your life, you know, even going through the, going through the emotions and the healing that can come from that and the new perspectives that, that can come from that, that can turn into a positive for you. And it, it's not about like, from, it's not about being like, everything's okay. No, it's not about that. It's about actually going into the depth of the pain and then it can turn into a positive for you. So. If even if you you make a very fear based rational decision, you didn't do anything wrong. You still can turn that into a huge positive for yourself. We're very good at convincing ourselves why we're making a decision is for the right reasons. And yes, I think you're pretty skilled given your experience and work to know the difference between what that feels like as an expansive decision from a place of love or joy, or actually this is my head talking. For example. I'm taking this opportunity because the money's good. And actually, I've convinced myself that actually it's, I'm excited by this. And am I excited by the result, the end goal, or am I excited by just the thought of moving into this project or collaboration? Yeah. What you're talking about was one of the most shocking things to me when I started studying you know, psychology more closely. And Dan Irelli is a behavioral economist and psychologist who has tons of really cool TED Talks about this phenomenon. But it's the phenomenon that most of our rational thinking, like 99% of it, is actually rationalization of some type of inner impulse we have. You know, oh, yeah, I should take this job. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be good money. And yeah, I like it. And it's new people. And, and like, oh, it's going to be good for my career. And, and all that stuff. That's rationalization. And, and what you got to look into is, well, wait, what is the emotional energy behind this decision? You know, am I taking it because like, is it actually, is the emotion behind this decision, my heart joy, my love, my expansion, my, my belief in what I'm truly capable of and my truth, or is the emotional energy behind this decision is like, yeah, this makes sense. And, you know, I need the money and, and like, I don't want to, all the other, the other options seem more scary, you know, so I'm going to do this one. And it's very easy to convince ourselves, very easy to convince ourselves. And I've done it many times. I still do it mm -hmm. on certain occasions. I still do it, you know, like uh, in different little decisions in my life or different places in my life. But fortunately, right now, I think I'm at a place where for all the big decisions, you know, like all the big decisions that have formed the, you know, the main structure of my life, where I live, what I work on, who I'm with, you know, whether we're having the kid or not, you know, all those things, those big decisions all have come from me just doing what my heart told me to do and not listening to my to anything my head said about it literally not listening to any of the thoughts letting the thoughts happen but not listening to any of them oh but this might happen but that might happen but what if this happens no it doesn't matter i can't i've i've learned enough that those do not matter so following on from what you said with dan Ariely's work about post-rationalization why in your opinion do we post-rationalize oh that's just the the brain's the brain wanting to have like a reality that makes sense to it that's it. So like And what does it mean to make sense? That's the curious. Well, thing. okay. So let's say, let's say like, let's say you have this internal fear of working for yourself and some new job opportunity comes along, 
right? And then you start the rational. So there's, there's this fear of like, okay, right now I could quit and just try working for myself where I could take this new job opportunity. And you're scared to quit and start your new thing, you know? So your brain is like, starts to make these rationalizations. Oh, the new job is good money. It's good people. It'd be great for my career, blah, blah, blah. All your brain is doing is trying to give the fear like a legitimacy. Because there's this energy in the nervous system and the brain is like, yes, this makes sense because X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's just trying to, it's just trying to translate the energy in the system into something that it thinks it makes sense. That's exactly what dreams are, by the way. You know, when we, all this electrical activity that happens at night, nobody exactly knows like what is what's going on. But we do know that your dream actually takes shape in the few minutes and seconds before you wake up. This is well documented in science now. So like right before you, you wake up, your brain looks at the electrical activity that happened and then it come and then it like makes images and symbols and it tries to put a, it puts a story together to make sense of what just happened in your mind. That's the same thing with rationalization. It's there's this emotional energy coming through. There's this impulse coming through and it's either from your fear or it could be even from your higher self and your brain is is like Oh, this yes, this makes sense because X, Y, Z. Because your brain wants to live in a world that that thinks makes sense to it, you know. Otherwise, it's it, like it gets very it gets very terrified. It gets very terrified encountering things that just literally don't make sense. And I think that's what I wanted to get to. There was this rationalization is uh, again another way to address the fear. So we choose this job rather than doing the thing on our own or taking that less clear path through one of a better term. And then so. To avoid us feeling ashamed or regret uh, or to explain it to people around us why we did this thing, even though we've been saying we want to do the other thing, we create this rationalization. We create these stories. We create these, I was going to say making sense. It's like making personal sense, making personal coherence. Like, no, it's a good yes. thing to do. It's a good thing to do. It's, it's, I haven't failed by not doing that thing because I did. I succeeded by choosing this. And then you tell it to other people. And most other people are like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's true. You know, and they're just trying to be supportive. But really, a better question would be like, well, how are you feeling about it in your body? Mm. What does your body do when you think about taking this new job? What do you feel in your stomach? What do you feel in your heart? Why don't you stand up right now and take the body position that shows me how you really feel about taking this job? You know, and it might be like, like, a, like eh, this is pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you stand up and stand up and show me the body position of how you would love to feel in your life? Like, oh, like, oh, you know, like this. Well, does your job match that? No. Well, what, what would match this then? Do that and forget what your mind is telling you. Skydiving. Yeah. Yeah. But this leads me on to this, uh, another thing that cropped up when you're talking about the, the objectivity and subjectivity in terms of I, as a scientist in training, like there's this thing, this search for an objective reality, these rules that govern things no matter what. You know, we talk about gravity, we talk about some of these rules of physics, we talk about economic systems, we talk about, you know, supply and demand. We, tr we create these rules around how the world works that feels that like everyone can agree about. And then there's this other part that you're talking about, this feeling-based approach to the world, which is so subjective, which is so hard for anyone to necessarily understand because it's such a personal experience. And so I say, oh, I want to do this. I feel expensive. Oh, you know, I, I basically, I go with a feeling, but I can't explain it to anyone else because they're not me. 
and they're not in my body and they're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. And so they will question my decision based on their own view on the world. And so there, on one hand, I, you know, I'm what I'm trying to get at was for people who like a needing to get in touch with the feelings, but then also in a sense kind of protecting that knowing, not being how do you basically stand firm in those feelings? Yeah, great, 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 great question. For me, the way it worked and the way I got people, my clients to do it is start with small things that don't have high stakes and prove to yourself that this is a valid, helpful, productive, expansive, successful way to make decisions. And when you prove to yourself that your joy works and will take care of you and will lead you into really interesting situations and your excitement will positively surprise you and bring you things your brain didn't even think you could have. When you, when you learn that this, that this guidance is in you and you can do it, when you prove that to yourself, that's when you can stand firm in it. So you're not going to prove it. You're not going to be able to stand firm by just listening to me or, or any of these ideas. You have to just go, go try it for yourself. You know, don't, don't take my word for it. And start with small stuff. That's what I did. You know, I started with small things like, I wanna, I'm gonna go to that cafe. How am I gonna get there? Walk, tram, you know, like metro, like something really small like that. And then I would, I would try to feel my excitement. I would try to feel my expansion. And it would be like, I, I feel like walking. And lo and behold, what do you know? I run into one of my friends on the way. You know, stuff like that happens all the time. So these are, this is like small small experiments to start out and then you do then you start then maybe like me you'll you'll choose where you what country you live in and who you're, who you're well i think this is really useful um mm. particularly given today because one of the things the challenges that was floated by uh one, some of the attendees at ideas cafe is having too many options too many business decision options too many product idea options too many basically a whole range of things that they could do and being paralyzed by trying to know which one to take. And so it feels like being able to intuitively decide whether to walk, take the tram or get a lift can help if you build that skill up to then decide, do I start out on my own or do I go back to that job? Do mm. I create a product, a service, an event and that, or how do I move forward despite having not having all the information? Basically, get good at making decisions. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to have all the information ever. No, there's always more information you could have. So if if you know if you rely, and maybe maybe there's some threshold of information you could cross where you start to get overwhelmed, where you're just like, I have to make a decision. But if you know if you have like if you have three, four, five, ten options in front of you, here's another exercise if you want it. You know, just write them down on a piece of paper and literally rate each one on a scale of one to ten in terms of your joy. In terms of your heart's excitement and sense of expansion, just rate each one. There's only, there's there's going to be a clear winner, you know. Your your heart your heart's guidance in any moment is quite specific, you know. It's it's when you're able to feel it, it's quite clear. There's always one thing that it's like a yes. This is the yes. The you know this is the most yes. And if if you have a bunch of options and they're all kind of tied, well, that means either you maybe uh, you need to open your sensitivity. Maybe with help, you can open your sensitivity and feel more deeply, or you haven't found your real yes yet. You just haven't named it yet. But there, your heart will guide you. So one of the things that I've um, heard and experienced is this idea of heightening sensitivity for people who have been who have made a success in inverted commas out of being hyper rational and really, you know, looking at all the angles, essentially being chess like with their approach to life. 
there is a a judgment. There's not only a resistance, there's a judgment about following a feeling or trusting a feeling. And because of that, to a certain extent, just being totally cut off from this idea of even having feelings. Right? So I just in in that situation, when you talk about I uh, heard you talk about it being sensitive or sensitizing yourself. Have you helped anyone or what would you get someone to do to start a removing that judgment and be practicing that this 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 aspect of themselves yeah the the first the first place to turn it's the it's the it's the most beautiful magical mysterious fantastic interesting grounded practical tool you have and that's your body you have to spend time going into your body put your hands on your body what are, the, what are the sensations inside your body? Where is the tension? What's inside there? You have to let yourself sit with your body, get quiet, nothing in silence, and feel the body, get into the body. You know, and that, that process, yes, there are all these positive outcomes we've been talking about, and that process will bring up more discomfort. It's something everybody who go down goes down this path needs to deal with as you become more sensitive to what your love and joy is you also become more sensitive to your pain and uh, Brene brown talks about this it's like a bandwidth you know when you when you expand your capacity for feeling you're expanding both sides of the spectrum you're expanding both the difficult stuff and the positive stuff so you you might get to a point like i you know have experienced where i have you know i'm crying heavily for an hour you know and then later that day or the next day i am i have a spontaneous moment of being absolutely in love with life and feeling like the perfection of the universe and tears of joy coming down my face for no reason so you 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 expand this you, you're expanding your whole bandwidth and one of the hardest things for people to deal with when they embark on this work is they start to feel worse sometimes and they think something wrong is happening they think i'm not doing it right I should be feeling better. Isn't that what this spirituality thing? Isn't that what this emotional healing thing is? Isn't that what this self-awareness thing is all about is feeling better? Well, actually, actually, yes. But as you have those moments of feeling really better, also there's going to be moments where you feel some of the depth of the pain that's still in there. And that's and those moments are going to feel worse. But the thing is, what you learn is those always pass. They are not a problem and they always pass. They are not permanent. The, those feelings inside you do not last forever. They, they, it's a finite amount of energy stuck in your system. And if you just stick with it and work with it, it will inevitably be done. So that's the good news. <laughs> <laughs> I connect it back to this idea of contrast. And for me, in a way, this is how I'm processing it. It's like if I think about valleys um, and, and hills, so there's this way of living where it's just nice little smooth bumps where there's not much difference between the high and the low. And then what you're talking about increasing your bandwidth is, yes, you might <laughs> deepen the lows because you get really sensitive to all the feelings, but also you increasing the highs, which means what was just a little wiggle becomes potentially these massive changes that you can experience. And as um, Beth says, being fully alive, living the full bandwidth of experience, the, what that leads me to is like being scared of success because if I'm successful at feeling all the feels, 
that's going to be so uncomfortable. So maybe I don't do it. Well, that's what that's what your your mind might say right now. But actually, even though you might be having these highs and lows, you spend much more time in the highs. And even though you're having these highs and lows, the lows become much, much more easier to deal with. And they're short mm. because you learn how to work with them. So overall, it's like an upward tr- upward trend. You know, so overall, it's like it's like an angle like this, but with like lots of ups and downs like that, you know, but it's 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 trending upward. I love a squiggly graph that goes up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's an upward, it's an upward trending squiggly graph. Uh, and so, yeah, and it is, and you do start feeling more fully alive. Mm-hmm. And overall, you start feeling better because you realize you're being more true to yourself. And then like, you, you, let's say you look at like, you know, some advertisement on YouTube of like an animal being abused, you know, or like, and they're trying to get your, get you to donate or like a child who's hungry and needs medical attention and your heart just breaks open and you just like feel tears coming and you realized that's how you actually felt about it all along. But you held that in. You didn't let yourself feel it. But then you, you, you let yourself feel it fully. And yeah, it's uncomfortable and the tears come. But then afterward, you feel, oh, yeah, I, I'm, that, was, that was the true me. I feel more alive and I feel more empowered to do something. And I feel more capable of letting my excitement lead me into how I can help. And you trust that. <clears throat> We're coming towards the end. And I just wanted to tackle a question before we close. And it's from Andreas. And he's asking you, David, how do you deal with people in your environment or circle who don't get you or even scare you and feed your fear? I want to also, um, before I forget, uh, Beth had a really good question. How, what's a technique you can use to work with the body if you have deep trauma in the body? Uh, there are many, but the one that has worked, worked the best for me and I got certified in it, it's called Havening. You can look it up online, havening.org. It's a direct body-focused technique on helping you release uh, trauma and emotional energy in the body. And um, on my website, I have some... I mean, there are Havening practitioners all over the world. You can find lots of free resources on YouTube. And also on my website, you can apply to have a gift session from me. And if that's what you want to experience in the gift session, we can focus on that. So I'm just letting you know as well. Um, And to to the other question about uh, what about people around you don't get you that's always going to be the case. And the more and more you follow your truth, probably the less and less people will get you because they can't see inside you, kind of what Carlos was saying. And they may feed your fear. You know, <laughs> I remember one time, uh, you know, when I, when I decided to quit everything, like all those jobs I had, the last place I was fully employed and I decided to do nothing for three months to find what was really in my heart and actually act on that. One of my friends, you know, he didn't get it at all. And he said, well, how are you going to explain that gap on your resume? You know, how are you going to explain? And I mean, this was back, this was back in, you know, 2000 and, uh, you know, what, like 2013. So it was like, you know, it was a little bit, maybe a little bit different world even back then. But, you know, the funny thing is, is I've never had to use a resume since. <laughs> like those are the kind of things that like happen. You know what I mean? So there are going to be people around you that are like, what about this? What about that? What's going on here? What you have to realize is that they're speaking from their own fear. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to have anything to do with you. You can listen to what they say and you can see how you feel about it. And if it brings up fear in you, that's just some emotional work for you to absorb. That's just some emotions for you to sit within your body. It does not have to decide your actions for you. If there's one thing you know, people are going to leave with today, let the fear happen. It's not a problem. Feel the fear. Let the thoughts happen. They're not a problem. Just, just don't let that fear decide what you say and do. Just let it be there as a friend 
trying to help you along the way, but it doesn't get to drive the bus. So that's what you, when people around you, you know, and how to deal with them. Well, I don't try to force anyone on the path that I'm on. I don't try to force anyone to like, to understand me. You know, I let them have their own path, their own perspective. I ask them questions. I take a coaching approach with those people. I get really curious about what they're feeling, who they are. And I just try to model me being me. That is the biggest influence and best teaching I can have. Just model me being me. And then if they're interested, they will, they will ask me about more information. They'll come closer to me and I'll be able to help them more. But you know, th those situations, those people in your life, they're also not a problem. You don't need to change them and you don't need to change mm -hmm. yourself. Just sit with whatever's arising, welcome that and you will feel your way through. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. That is love, um, love the idea of Dave, David driving the fear bus. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, maybe somebody can draw board. on the call. Yeah. Draw. Well, thank you. Dave. Thanks, David. Um, thank you, everyone who's listening. Uh, before we close, is there any anywhere or anything that you would like to point people to? Well, um, of course, there's my website, which is davidpapa.live. You can learn more about me and unconditional coaching there. And uh, yeah, very shortly, I'll have the, the application for the, the gift session ready because I'm changing it a little bit. And, um, and also, I want, to, um, I want to create a resource soon about these three main fears that I, I, think, uh, I think it's just worth everybody hearing, which is separation, scarcity, and shame. And those are the three ones. And if you can, make, if you can give yourself progress in any one of those areas, you'll make a huge, you make a huge leap for yourself. Um, two of those areas, you'll be flying high. So... Uh, that's one place they 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 can look. Um, definitely check out Dan Irelli's work if you're interested in this whole rationalization thing and how we actually make decisions. It's actually a very subconscious, emotional based thing. Um, yeah, get into that. But uh, reach out to me if you want more books or resources about this kind of thing. Because I mean, this is this is my life. I, I love this kind of thing, especially the the higher self discussion and the spiritual component of that. I just I'm so energized by that stuff. Or if you want to just uh, write jokes with me. You know, reach out because that's also something I love. Uh, so, <laughs> thank you, David. And um, anything else you want to leave people with? Final thoughts, reflections on this whole conversation? Yeah, just thank you so much for you both, both of you, you know, Carlos and Lawrence for hosting these conversations and inviting me on. And thank you, everybody who is here listening. And I get that what's coming up in answer to your question is you are already, this is for everybody, you are already the unconditional, courageous, powerful, excited, joyful, loving, passionate creator. You are already that. It's there inside you. You don't have to gain anything. You don't have to get a new course. It's all there already. The only thing that can possibly stop you from expressing that is letting the fear run your life. Mm -hmm. So just work with the fear and that other stuff will come out naturally and it will shock you and surprise you what you're capable of i feel like i need a 30 second david papper on my phone every morning to, to hear that message um what am i leaving with i think just this idea that there's a fear of feeling and yeah it's not about an outcome or a judgment it's just about feeling all the feels and to not try and shy away from that but just go with it so um yeah when you were talking about it, it made me think of grief and death and actually how those moments of grief are when we laugh the most as well as cry the most and 
a lot of people are scared of death and that stops them doing things in life. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. What's what's most clear to me at the moment is getting to a stage in life where you've attached a lot of stuff to yourself, whether it's responsibility or achievement or identity, as we heard this morning. And so we kind of, like you're saying, we, we know a lot of the stuff we need to know, or there's, there's like tactics and strategies and things we need, skills that we think we need to know. But what feels like the most important thing is that self-knowledge bit. You know, what is it that's scaring us? What is the fear telling us? Or what is the fear? Where is the fear actually coming from, really, rather than what's happening right now? Maybe there's something else. Like, I'm really curious about the whole, the process. what are you not processing in that situation? When someone says, oh, you shouldn't do that. And you're like, oh, like, is it them or is it you? And if it's you, what is it really that's happening? Well, that, that feels like quite an important thing for people, well, at least for me to consider. But I believe for a lot of people who are in our community, who follow up our work, you know your stuff already. You, you know, you're not, not naive little kids, you're, but there's something else that's maybe missing. So, yeah, really value your work. They will really value provocations around this and also the, the energy you bring to it, which also makes this a bit more palatable. Some people may feel. Thanks, thanks very much, and congrats to you, all, you guys, for doing this amazing work you're doing for ten years, ten years. Mm-hmm. So that's a fantastic milestone. There's a certain moment in your talk which, when I look back over those ten years, will stand in my mind. So thanks for that. <laughs> if you haven't Pictures, seen David's talk, you go and watch it. Yeah, it didn't oh, edited yes. though. I went, to, I went too far, evidently, in summer camp. It was edited. I was really yeah. disappointed by the edited. So I'm gonna have to gonna get the unedited version and share it with Director's our cut. community. Director's oh, okay. cut. Anyway, (laughs) with that mysterious comment in mind, thank you very much, David. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Great rest of your Friday. And until next week. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. To hear more inspiring conversations like this, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for the Happy Entrepreneur. In March, we'll be launching Tribe 7 of our Vision 2020 program. If you're at a point in your career or entrepreneurial journey where you're asking yourself, what next? And you need the clarity and confidence to make some bold decisions about a new direction, then this program is for you. We'll help you define what success really means to you, understand the impact that is yours to make, make sure your mission is both energetically and financially sustainable, and also learn how to build a supportive community around yourself. We want people who are driven to do good in the world and are tired of trying to do it on their own. We'll share the key lessons we've learned while building the Happy Startup School and pivoting from the stressful peaks and troughs of agency life to a life of freedom, adventure, service and connection. We value learning, play and friendship and we'd like to help you discover the values and the work that align more to who you are. Don't struggle alone, and don't get sidetracked by other people's measures of success. Discover for yourself what it means to create effortless impact. To apply for the next tribe, go to vision.happystartups.co. We look forward to hearing from you.